This is Invest Talk. Independent thinking, shared success. Justin Klein and Steve Peasley stand ready to take your finance and investment questions and share their unbiased answers. Invest Talk is made possible by KPP Financial, a registered investment advisor firm serving clients throughout the United States. The clarity for your path forward starts now. Here is KPP Chief Executive Officer, Financial Advisor, Justin Klein. Good afternoon, fellow investors, and welcome back to Invest Talk. This is our Wednesday, November 9th, 2022 edition. And we are just a couple of weeks away from Thanksgiving, but we are also one day post the U.S. midterm elections. And uh, it was an interesting one. Uh, definitely some surprises uh, both ways. But, um, you know, Republicans underperformed uh, overall. And uh, it looks like still going to take the House, uh, but uh, the Senate looks to be uh, still in, in Democrats' hands, still maybe coming to a runoff uh, in Georgia. But uh, this was a shift uh, in in policy uh, or a shift in expectations um, from uh, what the market was was looking at. And that's why you had a sell-off today. And it was really more of uh, an environment where there's probably going to get more done. You know, the market likes gridlock. And I think they were looking forward to that. Gridlock means not a lot of changes, uh, not a lot of policy being uh, passed that can throw wrenches in different sectors and the economy as a whole. Uh, and uh, that's typically why the market likes uh, a split uh, government. And I think we're still going to get that to a degree. Uh, but, you know, Biden's kind of tends to be historically a bipartisan guy. So if uh, if the Republicans do have the House, uh, that's only one hurdle to get over to uh, get things done. So I think that was uh, the catalyst for the pullback in markets today. And, um, you know, we, we're in a very politicized time. And that is something you have to consider. Not just domestic politics, but geopolitical politics as well. And this means that you need to take the quantitative as well as the qualitative measures of every investment. It's some companies, some assets have political risk. Think of mergers and acquisitions. Microsoft's a good example. Europe's looking at their acquisition of Activision. And that is a potential headwind to that deal. And thus, the way Microsoft as a company looks. And that's not something that you can put a number on. You can't go on Yahoo Finance and, and look that up. But it is something that has to be considered. And every industry has these, these factors that uh, sometimes are more in play and other times less so. Right, what will policy, energy policy be? over the next couple of years due to this shift in the electorate or a shift in the uh, in the representation. 
What about in the finance industry? Banking rules, investment advisory rules. These are all factors that uh, you need to consider. And these are times where you often have to, you often are reminded to think about those things. It's easy to hone in on the quantitative analysis. It's a lot more difficult, it takes a lot more thought, takes a lot more of a balanced approach to understand the risks on the qualitative side. And you see that in the crypto space right now. What's happening with FTX and that blow up. Uh, and a lot of that stuff is based on leadership within the space, Sam Bankman Freed. And you know, the fact that a lot of that stuff is very opaque. It's hard to understand what is happening there. And this is a qualitative risk that uh, has been unleashed because it's hard to quantify what the leverage is when is in the system, where that system is ultimately going to break. And I've said this before when it comes to the crypto space. A leverage system without new capital going in will collapse to base money, meaning that all the leverage within the system will be shaken out, will be squeezed out with margin calls and panic. And guess what? Just continues to happen over and over again. And so anyone that's surprised by this is just simply not paying attention or is just just drinking the Kool-Aid without having that balanced approach, that bigger picture analysis of the space. So that's what I'm here to help you understand is that this is not easy. This is not a one factor endeavor. I mean, you can't look up one thing and know exactly what to do. And that's why I'm here to answer your questions. So I'm Justin Klein, and I'm here every weekday, along with Steve, to canvas you for the things that are on your mind. And the phone number is always 888-99-CHART, 888-992-4278, so I get through and ask your question on today's show and at any time. Now, my main focus point digs into the dynamics around the Fed and a potential recession pushing us into a recession. Is it going to be big? Is it going to be small? Is there going to be one at all? Now, time permitting, I also want to touch on what's happening over in Europe. What does their economy look like in relation to ours? And also, what does government spending look like now in this environment compared to ours? Hence, they continue to ramp up their government spending. We're actually retrenching our government spending overall. I also want to touch on the junk bond market, the, the corporate bond market. A lot of opportunities there. Why is that? And then lastly, Japanese appetite for treasuries. They've been a huge buyer of treasuries over the years. And that's starting to shift because they're trying to defend their currency. And we're going to talk about those dynamics and why that's very important to the 
liquidity within the treasury bond market and that's how thus how that feeds into the cost of capital for the government as well as us in the marketplace we also have some voice bank questions to play as well one on high growth stocks as well as the energy sector and i've got an email question to try to fit in as well in regards to ebitda and adjusted ebitda so i got this all planned for this episode of invest talk and of course i'm taking your live calls right now at 888.99 chart now let's take a quick look at the market today healthy pullback the nyc was down 300 points a little over two percent after a strong last three days in the markets as a whole uh, the s p that was down about 80 points you had bad earnings out of disney that was uh, definitely the weakest uh, large cap uh, today tesla also very weak down seven percent you had disney what was disney down 13 percent or the other big ones amazon down four apple down 3.3 just looking at the big movers amd down six percent so that's where the weakness was roblox down another 21 percent affirm down 22 percent you know a lot of these high flyers they continue to just grind and grind lower and this should not shock you should not shock you companies that are uh priced for the growth in the future when that growth does not materialize in the way that the market is priced in that's when you get big moves to the downside and you're, you're starting to see that uh, along, you know, what was interesting is that you had a bad day for growth stocks and rates were down. Short-term rates were down. The 10-year, that was actually flat. The short-term rates were down and expectations for Fed rate hikes moderated a bit for the next couple of uh, meetings. So that was the market today, uh, a pullback, a pretty healthy one, but nothing that changed the uh, recent uh, uptrend that we started starting in early October. Now we're heading into a break and I welcome your finance and investment questions right now. No question is too simple or too complex. And guess what? You set the agenda. So give us a call on Invest Talk at 888 chart Why do listener questions make Invest Talk better? Which of these would you recommend? Because each caller presents fresh questions in their voice. I was curious if you still think aluminum has a ways to go from here. When do I know the right time to take profits? Should I be looking for an exit? Should I be holding here? And listeners instinctively realize that Invest Talk uniquely offers a welcome dose of investing satisfaction. I think you have a terrific show, and I've learned a whole lot. Hey guys, love your show. Uh, I've been listening for several years now and I've learned a lot. Justin Klein and Steve Peasley understand what investors need and want. I would look at it from a tax perspective. If there's no tax implications, move on, find better ways to use that money. I'm going with the odds. I think a half position now would at least get you in it and get you watching it so you won't lose track of it. Don't forget to call Investor 888-99-CHART. This is Invest Talk. Is your portfolio balanced? Is it optimized? Is it delivering the types of gains you want and need to achieve financial freedom? Well, turn up the volume because there are many questions that deserve unbiased answers. And Justin Klein is here now, ready to take your calls live. 888-99-CHART. 
This is for Justin or Steven. This is Andrew from Atlanta. My question is, I have a lump sum, and I'm trying to figure out what to put it in. I come across VSMIX, which is an ETF, and I was kind of looking at the portfolio. I like where it's at. I'm curious if I could please get your analysis on this. If I just put a, a lump sum into this, am I diversified enough? Just put it in there, let it ride, see how it goes. I'll be listening for your advice. Thank you. All right, this is a mutual fund, not an ETF, DFMIX, the Davidson Multicap Equity Institutional Class Fund, and it says uh, about 48 different names. So it's relatively concentrated, which uh, I kind of like that. Uh, it is a large cap blend fund. So there's some growthier names, there's some value type names. The top holdings would be Apple, Amazon, Microsoft, Alphabet, and Cigna Health. And then Goldman Sachs, Chevron, Eaton Corp, Walmart, and Starbucks. Those are the top 10 holdings. It does lean a little bit on the growth side, so I don't like that. But I like that its top holding is, is Apple. Um, of the large cap uh, tech names, Apple is, to me, the, the clear long-term better and best investment out of all of them. Um, and you're, it's kind of showing its metal right now where all the other ones are in a strong downtrend. Um, now... Are you diversified? Well, you're diversified within large cap, right? You get some growth, you get some value, uh, you get a, a blend of them, but it is still leaning on the growth side, which I don't like. I would rather you have some exposure to mid and small cap. You really don't have much exposure there with this fund, even though it's called a multi-cap fund, it's really just a large cap fund. And I would encourage you to gain some, some of that exposure because I've said this many times, these are a record. Now it's been worked off a bit, but it's still near record highs of uh, the difference between the value of the, the multiples that large caps are trading at versus small caps. So you're getting much better opportunities in the small and mid caps versus the large cap names. So what I, I would encourage that. And this is all domestic stocks. You're getting very little exposure to uh, foreign markets. And uh, I think there's some opportunity uh, in foreign markets as well with where the, the dollar is right now and how weak those other currencies are. So I think uh, I, I would want to gain some exposure there. Uh, ultimately, this would be an aggressive investment as well. So you're talking about all equities, do you want to be more moderate? That would probably include um, some sort of bonds in the in the portfolio and include uh, maybe a, a strategy uh, that, that hedges um, using options, whether that's covered calls or other strategies. So there's other ways to, to lower that risk as well. Um, so a lot depends too on what type of risk you're willing to take. But this is a good start. Um, not a great one uh, because I think the fee is pretty high. 0.9%, 90 basis point is too high uh, in my book. So I think it is expensive, leans on the growth side. Uh, wouldn't be my first choice, uh, but it's a decent one because it has pretty good performance long-term. Now it's a fast-moving Wednesday. The market is constantly changing. You must have a finance and investment question that you'd like answered. Well, I'm here. And you set the agenda. So give me a call now on Invest Talk, 888 chart. It's been another Investor Wednesday, and we've all seen the market move up, down, and all around. It's called volatility. And you'll have investment and finance questions for Steve and Justin. They welcome your calls now. Invest Talk, 888 chart. Let's go to Richard in the Bay Area looking at GSM, which is Globe. Am I saying it correctly? Uh, I think so. Um, okay. 
if you know, I I would. Um, yeah, thanks for taking my call. I uh, I like this one because it's a um, um, materials company and mining company, and it's small cap, uh, so it's probably more volatile. And hopefully, I catch it at the right time. But I don't like about it, uh, and I like also it's lower geopolitical risk. I think from what I read. And what I don't like about it is Charles Schwab says the profitability is low, but then when I look at the uh, at the margins, they look reasonable. And then it didn't make money, but it's it's expected to do so um, in the future. So was wondering what your thoughts are. Well, you're right. It is expected to make money in the last three quarters. It has, and in, in in a big way, it's done done very well. Uh, its margins have expanded significantly, and I'd have to figure out exactly why that is. Is that has to do with Russia, and maybe there's not a c- competitor. You know, is there a competitor being taken off market there um, that's allowing them to expand their margins? Because historically, their operating margins are not very good. Right now, they're twenty one percent trailing 12 months, but they were briefly positive for 2017 and 2018, but 2019 and early 2020, it was, it was negative um, pre-pandemic. So, uh, you know, historically, this has not been a company that has great earnings, um, but I do like the place that it's in, you know, it's in the, uh, in especially metals industry, uh, it produces silicon metal and silicon and magnesium, magnet, mag, manganese-based alloys, and it serves customers in the um, solar industry, um, iron factories, etc. It has business both here in North America, Europe, uh, as well as South Africa. And so I like the business that it's in. I just don't like the profitability trends longer term. And I'm afraid that this recent boost in profitability is more of an anomaly. I'd really have to dig into that and see, like, why are they earning such high profits? Is this something that is a flash in the pan like it was in 2018? Or is this more of a structural thing where suddenly uh, they're now the leader within the industry or uh, there's a new line of business that they got into that's super profitable, uh, whatever that is. So I'd have to dig into that. Um, Technically, not looking good. It's making a series of lower highs and lower lows. Uh, it's, it's in a downtrend, not a a strong one, but certainly in a downtrend. So there's nothing on the, on the charts that's telling me, oh, this is an exciting name to, to get into. Um, so I, I just have to do more work. Uh, these smaller cap names, sometimes you have to do that. And and if they're earning, uh, well above their previous trend, you really have to understand why that is. Uh, cause oftentimes that can be just a flash in the pan. So I'm passing on GSM until I answer that question. Thanks for the call. Now, my focus point digs into the dynamics behind this question. Could the Fed be pushing the economy into a recession? And the JP Morgan asset management chief strategist uh, said on Tuesday that there still is a possibility uh, to avoid a severe economic downturn because of Fed rate hikes. And the bigger question, though, is, is he, it, yes, it's possible, but we all want to know what is most likely. No one knows the future for sure. Uh, but, you know, he says that you might ultimately reduce prices 
but it's probably going to set off a recession. And most, about 100% of CEOs say that, um, and 70% of economists believe that we're going to go into a recession next year. He puts the chances at 35%. I would probably be closer to the 70% camp. Now, once again, I've hit on this many times, and I, I want to hammer the point home, is that most generals fight the last war. And when you're investing in markets and you're thinking of the economy as a whole, most people think of recession as the last war. What was the last recession? Well, it was a financial crisis. It was uh, a time when banks stopped lending because they were becoming insolvent because they were poor lenders after a while, uh, you know, before, before the recession. And so the bigger question will be is, how bad will this recession be? Because it's very unlikely to be that type of recession because of where bank balance sheets are and their lending practices. Now, inflation is going to come down. You're going to CPI report tomorrow. And according to Paul Krugman, he thinks that uh, inflation is roughly about 4% year over year. He's looking at things like uh, slowing wage growth as well as declining rental prices. Uh, and the CPI data is typically very lagged. And so he thinks a soft landing is certainly possible because we'll get down to uh, modest inflation uh, before the Fed pushes us over the brink. And I think I think we're somewhere in the middle. I don't think a soft landing is going to happen. Uh, I think you're going to see a recession similar to 2000 to 2002 uh, with an added layer of a weak housing market. Because then 2002, the Fed was lowering rates. Now the Fed you know, it's keeping rates relatively elevated. And so is it going to be worse than 2000, 2002? Probably, especially for housing prices. Uh, but there weren't a ton of job losses then. Now, and I think that'll be the same now. Uh, it'll be more concentrated in the finance industry and in the tech industry, just like it was back then. Um, but not in your blue collar industries. I think that will remain robust. So I think it'll be a mild recession in the early part of next year. Now we're heading into a break, so give me a call at 888-99-CHART. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate megastores led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Each day, Invest Talk listeners submit their finance and investment questions via phone or email. Would you like your question to be put near the top of the list? Just take a minute or two to leave a review and rating for Invest Talk at iTunes. And be sure to include a brief question with your iTunes review comments. Now, the next Invest Talk, the story behind this question How could the FTX token lose 80% of its value overnight? Cryptocurrencies as a class sank on Tuesday, uh, with Bitcoin and Ethereum both plunging more than 10%. So we're going to dig into that story tomorrow. But right now, let's pivot to the InvestTalk Voice Bank for this listener question. Hi, Justin Steve. My name is Jacob from Arizona. I'm a pretty young investor. 
I'm going to just have a few questions for you guys. I do have a lot of money kind of sitting in the bank, which I do not like, as I know that money sitting in the bank doesn't really do anything for you, especially when you're young. So I guess I have some questions here regarding the markets. I was planning on putting about 60 70% of my total portfolio into stocks that I consider more safe, such as the S&P 500 or even ETFs such as VU, and then allocating about 30% of the portfolio to stocks I consider a little more risky, such as Tesla, Apple, Google, Amazon, and Walmart, and then leaving about 5 to 10% to things that I believe in myself. Do you guys suggest, I guess, playing it safer and allocating more of my portfolio towards ETFs and things, or should I kind of play it more risky? Should I be dividend investing? What are the options or the best options that you guys would give a young investor here? I appreciate all your information you guys give out, and I look forward to the answer in the podcast. Thank you. Have a great day. Oh, this is a bit of a complex one. Now, you have money in, in the bank, and luckily now you can actually earn a little bit on it. So talk about I-bonds, one way to, to deploy some of that. Uh, you're getting nice, juicy, you know, healthy, roughly 7% yield uh, over the next six months. It's going to stair step down in six months, but, um, you know, I, th I think that's one good place to be. Uh, and, you know, then when it comes to your investments, I would be slow. I would use this opportunity to learn. Uh, now, that also depends on what direction you want to go. Do you want to learn how to do this? Do you want to be savvy when it comes to your investments? Or do you want to just kind of go along with the indices? And kind of a, a set it, forget it, low, low work approach. And for some people, that's fine. If you don't have the time, the data, the discipline, the expertise to, to do it yourself, there's nothing wrong with creating a diversified, you know, index strategy. It's not going to be great, especially in this environment because of the way S the S&P and the broad indices are set up, you know, leaning on growth over value, leaning on tech stocks over, you know, hard assets like uh, energy and, and commodities. But that's often better than making rash emotional decisions based on what most people do, which is hearing an idea from their cousin, watch, seeing an idea on TV, uh, reading it in the newspaper, uh, reading an article online, whatever, without a rhyme or reason. And, and that's usually when people get in trouble, when they don't have a rhyme or reason for their strategy. So, if, but if you want to start to have a rhyme or reason, you want to learn, I would encourage individual stocks. Now, definitely wouldn't invest in Tesla. <laughs> you, I know you mentioned that. Um, but focus on companies uh, and business models that you understand. Um, and don't just stick with the large cap names. Learn about different sectors. Learn about companies in small mid cap space. A, because longer term, just better returns. And B, especially right now, much better values in that space as well. So what I would say is be slow, earn some money on your cash and slowly 
get into the market. You don't need to put all, all to work and you need to um, figure out what direction you want to go. Do you want to be an indexer or do you want to be more active, more hands-on, more savvy? Both directions are fine. It just takes a different tact. It's a different path to get where you want to go. You'll get there faster with the indexing approach, take you longer with the more savvy approach, but I think you can do better if you stick with it. So I hope that helped. Now, from time to time, we receive email questions. This one came in from Drew. It says, please take a few minutes to talk about EBITDA versus adjusted EBITDA, which one is something that commands more attention? Is there financial chicanery in the numbers? How much weight do you put into these numbers? Now, first off, what I want to say is every even accounting metric, gap accounting metric, has its caveats and its dynamics that you need to understand. Well, that's EBITDA, cash flow, earnings, net income, turn in equity, turn in assets. You need to know where they come from and how they're derived in order for you to understand really what to look out for. You know, EBITDA in a software business is very different than EBITDA in a real estate business. Why? Because of depreciation, amortization, and how those aspect in, aspects impact that number. What is realistic, what's, what's not. So that's first off. Now, second, you're talking about EBITDA versus adjusted EBITDA. And you'll see this a lot in earnings announcements. They'll be, oh, this is the gap EBITDA. Gap is generally accepted accounting principles, meaning they didn't make this up. They followed the rules of gap and they came up with this number. Adjusted EBITDA is something they basically made up. Now, sometimes they adjusted it rightly so because there are one-off items that uh, can impact that number. Other times they're just adjusting to make things look rosier. I think of WeWork, I remember they came up with a metric called like community adjusted EBITDA. It was a complete bunk process of how they came up with that number. And as you said, there's a lot of financial chicanery that happened with community adjusted EBITDA. But just standard adjusted EBITDA also ha can have that as well. You just need to know how they adjusted it. And that's in the footnotes of the reports. It takes a little work. So I'm always very skeptical of adjusted EBITDA or any adjusted number that isn't gap. Unless I really dig into the details and, and agree with what, what that is. And I want that to be a one-off thing, not something they're constantly doing every single earnings report. Unfortunately, it's not simple. I know everyone wants something simple and straightforward. They want a quick and easy answer. Especially when you get into earnings reports and large company balance sheets and accounting metrics, it can be quite complex. And that's why, you know, taking the CFA is challenging. Because you have to learn those type of things.
and go through that process. So, um, yeah, I wouldn't trust adjusted EBITDA. Thanks for the call. Now let's grab in another caller question from our anytime listener line, which never closes at 888-99-CHART. Hey, Justin and Steve. Rob here from Wisconsin. Thanks for the show and uh, thanks for the education you provide us all. I was wondering if you could give me your opinion on Lumen Technologies, L-U-M-N. I have it in a 401k long-term hold. They announced cutting their dividend completely. Is this company a hold still or, or buy or sell? Just curious what your opinion is now with the announcement. Thanks, guys. All right, looking at Lumen Technologies, and this is a company that is they're going through a restructuring process or selling off some assets. Uh, they have new management team uh, that come from they came from one of the the big tech companies, and their new management team eliminated dividend. I didn't think they would eliminate it completely. I thought they would trim it, cut it, but uh, they decided they would rather take that money and invest in the business, and most importantly buy back shares. And I think that is a prudent thing to do. Currently, they're trading at about four times enterprise value to EBITDA, which is extremely cheap, especially with the quality of their assets and their free cash flow levels. Uh, and you're, you know, along with the earnings announcement, they, had, they announced that they were selling off another piece of their business at about 11 times EBITDA. So it just goes to show you how undervalued this name is at this time. And I think the it was a prudent choice to take that billion and a half dollars over the next two years instead of paying out a dividend, paying buying back stock. That was more creative to shareholders. Think of it. If it's at four times enterprise value to EBITDA, they're able to buy back about a quarter of their shares over the next year and a half, two years. And I think that's that's smart. That's a, a better way to go. So if you're a long-term holder, I think this is a good move. If you're after it for the dividend, you're a dividend investor, then you know, you're just gonna have to move on because you're not getting that dividend anymore. Um, but I think it was a, a smart choice. Right. Now, seasons are changing. I know uh, the sun is coming down here in Laguna Beach, I'm looking at it. The nights are, are coming up quicker. Days are ending sooner, and that means uh, we're fast approaching the holiday season and the end of the year. And while this time of year is often a time where volatility is lower than the rest of the year, you're already starting to see that, right? A little kind of float up through the back half of October, had a little bit of volatility today, but overall, we're kind of in a low volatility uh, uptrend, and that's very common this time of year. But while markets tend to be calm, it doesn't mean that they're always going to be. So the question is, are you prepared for 2023? That's what we have to start thinking about now. Are you prepared for an environment where these big drops in Disney and Tesla, Meta, Netflix, Google. These are these are regular occurrences because of the economic backdrop, both on growth slowing as well as inflation increasing. 
I said this before, we are now in an inflationary environment. While that's going to slow, our multipolar world, reshoring and manufacturing, our demographic situation, especially in places like China, means that higher prices are now a feature of our economy. Something you have to get used to. But it also means it's a feature of the markets as a whole. So are you prepared for that environment? Do you know how to operate and invest in that environment? Well, if you need help understanding the way forward, I encourage you to reach out to myself or Steve at our company, KPP Financial, where we practice parallel investing and we provide unbiased guidance both on and off air. And we operate with the same philosophy, which is independent thinking and shared success. So you can schedule a free portfolio review assessment with me via telephone or go to meeting. Just head over to investtalk.com or call our office at 800-557-5461. The sooner you get in touch with me, the sooner I can help you and get your portfolio optimized. Now let's touch a bit on what's happening over in Europe. And I think this is something to watch because we'll get there. Eventually, we're going to look a lot like Europe. I've always said, post-financial crisis, everyone said, are, are we Japan? And I always said, yeah, we're Japan. We're just further behind uh, in our fiscal situation. Uh, our demographics are much better. But Europe is kind of in the middle. And what they're starting to do is they're, gonna, they're starting to subsidize energy bills. They're adding public jobs, they're guaranteeing business loans, and they're splurging on infrastructure and defense. The spending in the Eurozone governments is, is expected to reach 51% of economic output this year. And that's about 4% higher than pre-pandemic levels. Whereas here in the US, state spending went up to 45% in 2020, but it's now back down to 37% of GDP, which is around pre-crisis levels. So while we've corrected our government spending in a big way, Europe has used the energy crisis and the war to justify higher spending. And that's helped the Eurozone economy grow modestly 0.7% in the third quarter. And that's mainly helped by government spending. Here in the U.S., government spending has been a drag to growth this year. And they've, uh, the, the, the EU's executive arm, they loosen the bloc's debt rules to allow co uh, countries to spend above their 3% of GDP cap. And public sector employees across Europe has risen 4% since 2019, compared to a 1% increase in market jobs and a 1% decline in manufacturing jobs. In the U.S., the number of government jobs has actually dropped more than 2% since early 2020, while private sector jobs are up 1%. So this trend that you're seeing over in Europe is probably not going to change, especially look at the elections. But all of the, the major candidates in, in, in France, in Italy, Germany, they're all promising more spending. And that is the path forward when you're trying to manufacture economic growth, is spend and lend. Right. Now, this is Invest Talk. I'm Justin Klein. We have one goal here is to help you achieve your own version of financial freedom. And our work continues after this final break. So give us a call at 888 99 Chart.
The stock market is volatile. It's constantly changing. So how are you positioned? Is your portfolio properly balanced or are you taking unnecessary risks? You can get guidance anytime for free if you go to investtalk.com and take the brief Riskalyze quiz. Hi, Duncan from New York. Thank you for all that you do. Following up on a question that a previous caller had about energy stocks. So same with him. I am uh, making some good profits off of some energy such, such as XOM. And you answered him by saying that right now there's a little bit of strength in the energy sector. So what do you mean by selling into strength? Like how do I know when to sell? Because as we all know, obviously when we see profits, we would just want to keep it uh, we want to keep it seen uh, go further, further and up, uh, because what I was planning on doing, selling probably by like December 1st, because that's when everybody kind of fixes their portfolio for tax harvesting. And my second question is for next year, do you think the energy sector and what other sectors would probably perform well as too? So I'm looking forward to the answer and have a great day. Bye. Well, I think anything that's more of a, a hard asset, uh, commodities, basic materials, energy, uh, those are, are going to continue to perform well because of what's happening in uh, Russia being cut off with uh, from the global economy. And uh, over time, the supply uh, there is going to dwindle. And uh, the de global demand for resources is only going to increase. So I think that's uh, still a good place to be, um, you know, medium long term. Now, when should you trim? Uh, trimming into strength, and this is more technical um, than anything, especially when you're in an uptrend. Uh, but uh, what I would use is the 50-day moving average. And what I mean is, if it's too far away from the 50-day moving average, and you see that, I can look at the ExxonMobil chart, for example, where price surges uh, and you have quick returns over a short period of time. This happened in May when Exxon went from in early May from 85 and it had a high by early June of 10, about 105. So about 20 bucks in the span of a month. And what did it do? It was pretty far away from the 50 day moving average. 50 day at that time when it peaked out was down around 90. So it was about $15 above its 50 day moving average. And then it pulled back, had a large pullback into July. Um, so that surge was a good time to um, take a little profits. And that happened recently as well. Uh, end of September, it was around 85 and hit a high of about 115 uh, yesterday and had a pretty decent pullback and the 50 days down around 100. So you can see when it was about $15 above its 50 day moving average, eh, it tends to come back, it tends to come back into what I call home base. 50 day moving average is typically home base in an uptrend. Now, sometimes that, 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 that home base is more the 100 day, depends on the stock. Um, but really, it's just looking at a chart. What is where is overbought? Where is too far away from home base? And those are times where, when it is overbought, it's a good time to to trim, to rebalance, take a few chips off the table. You want to be selling into that strength. Now you got to know when too much is too much, but that is based on the chart. Um, so that's why, you know, what we use is multi-factor analysis when we're looking at uh, where, uh, our, what we're buying for clients. Technical analysis, that's the chart. Macroeconomic analysis, so what's happening in the broader economy. And then microeconomic analysis, which is 
what's happening within the individual sector, the individual company. All three of those factors are important. They're vital for you to do your analysis. If you're missing any one of those, you're missing a big part of the picture. If you think you can do this without checking each one of those three boxes, you're going to struggle. And so that's, unfortunately, that's, that's frankly what this is. And so rebalancing is another part of that's portfolio management. That is important as well, but it's more of, uh, it, it's more in conjunction with these three main points of knowing what to buy, what to own, what to have exposure to in this environment. Okay, so I hope that helped and gave you a little sense of when to trim your positions. I'm Justin Klein. This completes another Best Talk program. Steve Peasley and I thank you for listening. We encourage you to tell your friends and family about our free podcast downloads. You can get yours anytime at iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, and be sure to rate and review. And we have now we're now approaching 47 million downloads thanks to you as of last night. Please be sure to uh, once again rate and review. Independent thinking, shared success. This is Invest Talk. Good night. Invest Talk is a trademark of KPP Financial. Because of the nature of the interactive dialogue inherent in the format of this program, it's important for the listener to understand that not all comments made will apply to them. Specifically, nothing said shall be taken to be investment advice, or shall statements on this program be considered an offer to buy or sell security. Because such advice is rendered solely on an individual basis and at times will require that the investor review a prospectus before investing. InvestTalk is a copyrighted program of Klein, Pavlis, and Peasley Financial, a registered investment advisor firm which retains all rights. For more information regarding KPP's investment advisors, call 1-800-557-5461. Steve Peasley is president and Justin Klein is chief executive officer of Klein, Pavlis, and Peasley Financial. Thank you for listening, and your comments and questions are welcome on our 24-hour listener line at 888-99-CHART.